Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. This morning we were, are finishing a series on identity that uh, Bill started and for the last three weeks he's been going through. And part of that is identifying what identity means. I think we hear that so often in our culture and we have a sense of what it is. I think it's a hot topic. I think any sermon that has identity in the title already gets more clicks because it's like, it's everyone wants to know more about who they are. And so Bill started off the series identifying what it is, uh, where it comes from, from being an image bearer of God, being able to carry it from God and pouring it out into the world. And the second week, we saw a kind of shift. Where did that change? Where did it all go wrong in Genesis 3? And then last week, we talked about the wrestling with God, trying to find our identity, trying to find our rooting in Him. And so for me, uh, this journey started about four years ago, I feel like, or uh, probably five years ago. Um, But uh, this kind of got resurfaced uh, a few a month ago when I was getting dinner with some family. Um, my aunt 
uh, and uncles don't live in the state of California on my dad's side. So we were, they were visiting out of state, and my wife and I got to have dinner with them. And it was great. I was so excited to see them. I haven't seen them since my wedding. And uh, usually on your wedding, that's, on your wedding day, that's when you see everyone in your life, and then you don't see them forever. Um, but uh, it was so great to see my aunt. And being the Eastern European woman she is, down the hall, she came up to me, and she just grabbed my face after two months of not seeing me and just squeezed my cheeks and was like, you look so much like your father. As a child, though, I was stoked to hear that. But as an adult, I wasn't, to be honest. <laughs> I think when you're a kid on the playground, that's like the thing you do. You say, like, I look like my dad, or my dad could beat up your dad, or, uh, you know, uh, and so... And, and my dad was a pastor. He, he escaped communism from uh, Romania, which is kind of hardcore. So, like, that is the trump card that beats all other my dad could beat up your dad, for sure. <laughs> so as an adult, though, when my, when my aunt told me this a few months ago, it actually stirred up bitterness, uh, anger, sadness. And that's because the relationship with my dad isn't so great anymore. Uh, currently, I have no idea where he's at. He could be uh, alive or dead. I really have no clue. So when the first thing someone tells you is, you look so much like your father, is like, is that what people see me as? Is that what my mom sees me as? Does she see me as this man who left? And I'm getting emotional right now because of all the pain that is just uh, in, ingrained in, in that family dynamic, in those words. It's like, is that what my identity is in? Is it in this man? Or is it, some, is it found in something else? Is it found in something that is not my face? Is this found in something that is not my position? Is it found in something that is not in what I do or the family I come from or the education that I have or how much money I make? As culture would lead us to believe. See, that's what happens in Genesis 3 where identity comes from is the river flowing outside in. And so this morning, I want to uh, partner with Paul in 2 Corinthians as we find out where exactly our identity comes from. So if you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, 5, 16 through 21, this is where our text is going to be out of this morning. So I'm going to give you a little bit to turn on your phones and flip the pages I'm going to take a quick drink of water. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
and that and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, this verse, or this kind of section in 2 Corinthians starts off, Paul starts off this saying, saying that from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And what I just mentioned is that from a worldly point of view is how the world defines things. Whether it be identity or anything else, power, um, what's good, what's beautiful, whatever the world uh, defines reality as, that's the worldly point of view that's Paul talking about. And the reason he's writing to the Corinthians this way is because that's what they had. For the Corinthian church, it mattered what you drove. It mattered who you were. It mattered what family came from. It mattered what race you were. It mattered what gender you were. For them, it mattered. And Paul is like, you're not supposed to do that. In Genesis 3, as, Paul, as uh, Bill talked about, not Paul, uh, as in Genesis 3, as Bill talked about, the world got turned upside down. And just like when it's pitch black outside for so many generations, we just got used to being upside down. That became our normal. Our eyes got used to being in pitch black. We can see this is normal for us. We can navigate, but that's not how it was meant to be. And so Paul says, that's, it's got turned upside down in Christ. In, uh, he even says this for himself, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. For Paul, who was smart, who was a Pharisee, who knew so much of the Bible, he even saw Jesus in the worldly way. He, thought, he saw him as maybe a good teacher, maybe a bad teacher. Maybe he saw him as just a man. He saw him as just this rabbi uh, and uh, just kind of creating this movement. And for Paul, seeing with his worldly lens, he started killing Christians and persecuting them. And he's like, I have seen the light. I no longer see things that way. And for the Corinthian church, he's like, if I can take off the lenses that I have, so can you. That's the invitation is to change the lenses. And so for many of us, um, this does not exclude us in the church, specifically because this is written to a church. Um, a, a quick kind of personal story is that for me, as a pastor, associate pastor at the Garden, I had this issue. Um, since I was dating my wife, um, I think maybe four years ago, we started talking about church planning. I mean, that's all we talked about. Uh, that was like the main thing that we were, was on the table. I went to a Christian college. And so they, essentially the end goal for you if you're becoming a pastor there is like you have to church plant. That's the only way to move forward. That's the only way to further the gospel. So I was like, okay, I'm down. And I shared it with Amanda and she's like, okay, I'm down. So like we always talked about it. Uh, five years ago, it was San, San Diego. Four years ago, it was LA. And then uh, recently, it was Riverside. And for many, and, and it kept on progressing and progressing and progressing. And we're like, this is who I was. How I introduced myself on staff as a, uh, be, be, after I was an intern, when I was officially on staff, I'd be like, hey, I'm Michael Petrell. I'm a communications assistant and a future church planner. Like, no matter who I talked to, that was part of my identity. You know, like, um, it kind of gave me value. It wasn't anything I did, but it was just maybe, like, whoever I was telling might think I'm a little bit cooler because I might church plant. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm talking to my old professors, 
Um, when, I, when, I, when I'd see them at school visiting, they're like, hey, I'm planning a church. I'm doing what you told me to do. And they're like, oh, cool. You know, like I felt like I was adding value by having this dream. And so uh, recently my wife and I were like, saw this issue and we're like, hey, let's put this on the shelf, let it collect dust. And if God brings it back up, we'll, we'll go with it. But once we did that, we were left with this big void, not only in my own identity and not only in her own identity, but our identity as a couple. We're like, what are we if we aren't going to be church planners? Which is silly because... I know who I am, she knows who she is, but the issue is when we place value in dreams or we place value in things that, trying to impress people or place value in things that are not where identity is supposed to come from, when that thing is gone, our whole world shatters. And that's the way of the world, that's the worldly point of view that Paul is talking about, and so he wants to shift it. But how does he do it? In verse 17, talks about this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has, um, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And I kind of want to spend the majority of the time right here. For Paul, this language of being in Christ is, for in his letters, it's used 160 times. It's kind of his equivalent of being born again or being um, a, a, a Christian, quote unquote. But I think when we say born again or being a Christian, even in this context, it kind of falls on deaf ears. It's like, yeah, I've heard the same thing over and over and over. When Paul says you are in Christ, he's like you are personally unified in Christ. You are unified with Jesus. So it's not just some throwaway line like, oh, you're in Christ. It's like you're in Christ. There's this expectation to who you are when Paul says that. So there's this expectation for the church in Corinth. He's like, you are in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. For the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, he's comparing the old and the new. Here's how things used to be. Here's how things are now. And so for many of them, they are still holding on to the way that things were. They were still holding on to value systems that they grew up around, value systems that their culture defined, and not the new way of living in Christ. And so he, Paul, how he used to see things upside down, sees things right side up, and he's inviting the Corinthians to join in them. And the only way to do that is if we understand who Christ is, so then we understand what it means to be in Christ. Because we get Jesus, we show up and we sing songs about him, but what was his role? What does it mean for us to step in with him as a disciple to Jesus? And I think to understand that, we have to kind of understand his role within the Trinity. Because part of the implication is, if you are personally unified with Christ, you're invited into a relationship, a kind of a dance partner with the Trinity. You're not just kind of this uh, observant from afar, but you're invited as a participant near and dear to next to Jesus with the rest of the Trinity. And so um, part of the point is we have to understand how Jesus flows within the Trinity. So the Father sends the Son who then sends the Spirit into us. That was kind of the role of Jesus. Jesus came on the scene being sent by the Father to live a perfect human life to die for the sins of the world, but also to conquer death and then send us into to bring renewal of new creation. 
So there's this kind of this sending that happens. And so what happens in the reverse order is that the, the, the spirit fills the son. He's not just um, God and he does things because he's God, but he does things because he's filled by the spirit who then gives, empowers Jesus to be obedient and do the will of the father. And so then we can now replace ourselves within that dance. And so we are uh, the, the, those who are followers of Christ are then filled by the spirit to do the will of the father. So we kind of step into that dance with the Trinity. And so that is where we kind of understand how Jesus uh, or who Jesus is, but then we have to understand how did this come about? And the answer is on the cross. That's where kind of the battleground was fought and then the victory was won and now he gives us the opportunity to step in with him. On the cross, death died. On the cross, the old has gone. On the cross, sin was defeated. Death was defeated. The enemy is lost. On the cross, now us as disciples get to step in with Christ. That's kind of where it happened. And so now the invitation is that we get to step into that and realize that on the cross, for Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, He's like, the whole cosmos has shifted. Though you may not see it, though when you walk out from these doors and you go to the restaurant and you're uh, getting a, uh, an order from the waiter, things look the same. You might still get uh, 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 maybe PO'd because uh, you're, you're, you're waiting for cauliflower rice um, from Yard House and it takes five hours and then you find out that they didn't even put down your order and you're like, Oh, wow, so things are not perfect. But Jesus, and they still charge you. That's like the weird thing. Um, but so you realize the world is still not perfect. But for Paul, he sees that he doesn't see the way that everyone else sees it. Though the world may not seem perfect because of the effects of sin, he sees it with a new lens. So because he's in Christ, he no longer uh, affiliates himself with the world in the same way. He's still in the world. He's still interacting with the world, but he does no longer play the same game. Essentially, when you are in Christ, you are under new management. Uh, uh, Priorities ahead have been changed. There's these warning signs that come with being a follower of Jesus. It's not the same thing as it was before. Everything shifts. And so I have this list of uh, what it, kind of contrasting where we all as followers of Jesus used to be and, and a list of what it, me, what it looks like, our identity markers, uh, where we are now. And so if we can get that first slide up, um, it's, I put, I'm, I'm switching things around on you guys. There we go. Without Christ, we are dead in transgressions and sins, follow the way of the world, ruled by the rulers of the kingdom of the world, and, and all of the rest of this. This is what, how Paul and the rest of the New Testament defines where we were before. These are the rules and kind of the, 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 kind of the rule book and guidebook that we were following before because we didn't know any better. And we actually had no power to know any better. But then if we can go to the next list of what it looks like to be in Christ, We're part of the new creation. We're reconciled to God. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen before the creation of the world. Holy, 
holy, blameless, adopted as sons and daughters, redeemed, forgiven, included saints. And that's only half of the list. Let's get the other half up there. Sealed by the Holy Spirit, recipients of God's lavish grace, recipients of God's glorious inheritance, made alive in Christ, saved God's workmanship, part of new humanity, felt part of new humanity, ugh, part of new humanity, fellow citizens, membership of God's household, building blocks of God's temple. Your idea. <laughs> I just read the screen. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, but this, these are now our new identity markers. Brennan Manning says this. Um, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. So you can replace beloved with literally, I mean, don't, I mean, live in that identity as beloved, but any other kind of identity marker from that list, and it works. If you are in Christ, that is the truest thing about you. Every other identity is an illusion. Anything that is associated with Christ, that is where your true self comes from. And so uh, here's one example of what it looks like to be in Christ. One of the, uh, if we jump back to Paul's previous letter to the first, uh, not the first Corinthians, the first Corinthian letters to, um, to the Corinthians, um, verse uh, chapter uh, 6, 19 through 20. Talks about being a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, here we go. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If all of these identity markers shift how we live, we also have to incorporate it in how we live. So as a temple of the Holy Spirit, as we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as Jesus lived in partnership with him in Christ, then we now get to move forward in obedience to the Father. But the issue with being a temple, and this is a side note, is that uh, the temple in the Old Testament was always associated with God's holiness, but also with death. So if, if you came in unclean, you would drop down dead. The high priest once a year would have ropes tied to their legs, and if they, dropped, if they had any uncleanliness with them, they would drop down and they would have to be dragged out. But in the New Testament, the, the being a temple of the Holy Spirit still is filled with death or associated with death of the old self. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and living as a, uh, as a temple of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit, now your old self has to die. The old, and it's not just um, the things you used to do, but now the way you live, the way you live in, empowered by holiness, that is how you move forward. If uh, growing up, the gospel for me was just like, you just get better. Like, I guess you just get right with God and that's it. But when you are in Christ, the expectation is like you got better, your, restore, your relationship with God was restored, but now you get to go live it out into the world. So there's this kind of moving forward with it, and Bill talks about it all the time, and so does Darren, is that it's not just about getting to zero, it's about moving forward. And so when you are in Christ, when you take off the lenses, you, now you interact differently with the world. But then you also interact differently with yourself. When 
you see how, yourself how God sees you, then you can really truly see who God is, who he, who each other are, and who ourselves are. And so it changes all of our relationships when we step into our identity in Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, this is like all of these relationships. But the cross, the point of it was to restore relationship with you and God, with you and each other, and you and yourself. It wasn't just so that you get to go to somewhere when you die. It's this restoring of relationships. And that's where I want to kind of take us into the next part. Um, let me jump back to this. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For followers of Jesus... It's, we are invited into participating with God, into going into our workplaces and into our relationships and bringing reconciliation. Though there's nothing we have done to earn this reconciliation, it's all on God, and that's kind of the point that Paul's making, is that nothing you did reconciled you to God. God did all of the work, but as benefactors, as recipients of this, as those who are in Christ, now we get to carry this into the world and bring it to others. And as I was thinking about this, the role of being a reconciler is kind of uh, scary for us. And I think that's why so many of us kind of um, are happy with the old lenses. And and again, I'm speaking for myself. I'm, I'm I'm comfortable keeping the old way of doing things because it's safer. It's safer to know that if I think I am bad or if I think I am not worthy because of something, of some um, false identity marker out there, at least I can be safe knowing that I am the judge of me being bad or good. I don't lift it up and give it up to God. Because there's some this trust and this releasing when we are in Christ. We trust that God has done everything. But when we don't do that, we hold on to any identity mark and we're like, well, it's on me. So if I, no matter, I will earn my way with money, I will earn my way with relationships, I will earn my way with my status at my work or status with what, in marital or not, single. If that's where the identity is, at least we can control our disappointment because it's like, well, I know it's because of me and, I, and, I, and it, there's this releasing that happens when we are in Christ, saying like, this is the only place my identity comes from. And that's not to say that there's no value in those things, whether you have a good job or not. There's no value in um, whether you're male or female or black or white or whatever, like in the sense of that God made you that way. But when that is where you place your value, that's where your, your worth comes from, and that's taken away, then there's nothing substantial under it. When it's in Christ, all these other things are a beautiful way that the body gets to come together and, and, and uh, kind of lift each other up in those things. When someone's uh, wor- uh, job is good and is able to provide money for the church, that's a way we get to invite people to stand up from people from different cultures. If that's where you're 
as in a church where you are in Christ and we get to bring different cultures, we get to uh, spur one another on and see the beauty in it. But when we, when we place values in these things, power gets to, we, we build hierarchies, which is the most important. And then we lift those up rather than lifting up Christ at the center. And then all these other things get to be used how he wants to use them. Does that also make sense? That was also not in my notes. Sorry. the issue is being a reconciler the identity markers that once blocked us off from one another are moments that we get to step into partnership of beauty and relationship with one another and we say like I see that in you I see that you are in Christ but I also see these other things about you and I get to lift up who you are in Christ The danger is that the world does not see it that way. (laughs) So when you leave here today, the world will build boundaries and from afar put hands out and say, well, you voted this way, so I'm not going to associate myself with you. Oh, you look this way, so I'm not going to associate myself with you. Or... on what's more realistic, you voted this way, so you probably think this, and I don't want to associate myself with you. Or you look like this, so you probably act this way, and I don't want to associate myself with you. Or whatever, whether uh, you're part of this economic class, and I don't want to associate myself with you. And for Christians, for followers of Jesus, these are moments that we get to bring people from opposite sides of the spectrum and bring unity. If you think this, there might be something going on. If you have ever said this in your head, I can't imagine this person being a Christian, or um, or I can't understand how someone can be a follower of Jesus and be blank. Then you might be influenced by the culture rather than influenced by who you are in Christ. So if you have said, I can't imagine someone who voted this way, rather a Republican, fill in the blank, or Democrat, and say, I can't imagine how they could be a Christian, then it sounds like politics has influenced you more than your obedience to Jesus. If, <laughs> if, if, you've seen, if, if you've said that with any other thing, fill in the blank, then most likely that thing has influenced your discipleship rather than who you are in Christ. Rather than the invitation is who you are in Christ propels you in those places and says, let us see who we are in Christ and build unity rather than disunity. And so, so the point of me making this was not to bash anyone. The, the point is to say like, this is, I mean, where we all come from. We all live in the world and this is the water that we're swimming in. Unfortunately, the water has seeped itself into the church, and I want to call it out so that we all here can stand, our, stand ourselves and our identity in Christ so then the things that we see that shouldn't be in the church, in the walls of the church, we can push it out and then create this place as a holy sanctuary where everyone can come in and find their identity in Christ. So... That's how also the world is going to change, is that if we are different than the world, if we look different than culture rather than allow culture to shape how we do church. 
or properly said, how we are church. Um, and these are the foundational building blocks. If you get this right, your identity in Christ, everything else flows from it. For me, part of my identity or, or part of who I am is that I'm, I'm an associate pastor here at the garden. Um, but if, God forbid, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm driving home and I, I get in an accident and I can never preach again, my identity in Christ is solid and that, though it needs to be grieved and let go of, that is something that is not part of my identity or gives me value as an individual. So I, it, it needs to be let go. It needs to be held lightly. Does that make sense? So I want to give you some practicals of how you can take these things into your everyday life because we constantly need to be reminded who we are. For me, and maybe for you, I feel like every day I wake up with amnesia and, or I take a nap and wake up with amnesia in the middle of the day, and I forget who I am. I'll be in the middle of an argument with my wife, and I'll be like, oh, I am not living in my identity. Most, most of the times it happens after the argument, and I'll have to come up and be like, sorry, I lived, I, I said these things, and I realized that came not out of who I am in Christ or who I am, and it came out of what um, I carry from my past. And so there's this constant working that needs to be done for all of us every single day. It's not just a one-and-done thing. Though being in Christ is a one-and-done thing, but the issue of living it out, taking off that worldly view, is something that needs to be done every single day. And so here are some practicals that I found helpful in my life and that I hope are able to influence you as you step into your everyday life, as you go to Yard House or somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) as you go home. Uh, Practical number one would be uh, silence and solitude. I I know Bill talks about this quite often, but I can't emphasize how crucial I think this is for disciples to Jesus, specifically in a world that is the loudest it's ever been, where you can't escape people even when you're in your own home because of social media, whatever it is. We need time to be alone with Jesus to learn what it means to be with him, to become like him, and to do the things he did. You are never more like Jesus when you are just sitting in silence and solitude and listening to the Father tell you how much he loves you. So that's the invitation every morning or how often you can. Ideally, it would be, I mean, I guess like 50 times a day. But um, (laughs) try that. Set, Set time aside. Two minutes to 10 minutes, whatever works for you. One minute, if that's all it takes, schedule it in your phone. And I think a lot of us want our relationship with Jesus to look natural and be like, oh, I'm just going to naturally want to do Psalms and Solitude. I'm naturally going to want to read my Bible. But that's not true. You have to schedule it in your life. So if for some of you who are thinking about this right now, maybe pull out your phones and set (laughs) schedule reminders for you when you want to Practice silence and solitude. The next, next one would be read scripture. It's the same thing. You, we need to regularly be saturated by the, the, the words that God has spoken through the writers of the, the Bible in order to know who he is and what he says about us. I'm willing to put any worldview that the world has and put it against the Bible and, and have confidence that the worldview is going to shatter. The issue is how often do I do that or, or, 
how often do I take that worldview and put it against the Bible, or I just adopt it and I'm like, well, this is how the way, this is the way it is. And so the invitation is every day, or as often as you can, to spend time in the Bible. Jump in with a Bible reading plan. We just went through Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books, though it's kind of depressing. But I love it because it teaches you to hold, it teaches you to hold life very loosely. And I saw the application right there. I'm like, there it is. Like, um, all of these things are good, but if you hold things loosely, then you and and you are obedient to the Father. That's kind of the other through line through this uh, that book, and that's where we find our identity. So it's even. It, you will be constantly reminded of who you are the more you spend time in the scriptures. Thirdly is pray. Pray often. Don't just pray for meals. As, I mean, if that's all you can do, do it, but pray often. Praying is not just speaking at God, the things that you want, but prayer is kind of this relationship that you get to have this conversation with God throughout the day, throughout your life. And that's the next practical is to consistently be talking to God. To consistently be like, I, I'm, I'm feeling insecure, I'm feeling um, worried, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling uh, some, someone said this to me, how should I take it? Instead of taking it to ourselves or we can control how we feel or at least we can manipulate reality in our head and tell us how we should feel, we should give it to God outside of us and trust us that he knows and this is how Christ would do it as well. So we have to practice that. Fourth is community. Um, Community is so important, and this is beautiful, to be here as a one body, as the Garden Church body, to be here and celebrate with one another. But also in house churches, to be uh, with each other. It doesn't matter where you are on, uh, in your life stage or where you are in your social economic class or what background you come uh, from. This church, this community, and our house churches are places where you get to come from all over the place and be constantly reminded of who you are in Christ. And that's what we all need. You're not supposed to do this alone. Because when you are alone, again, our own voices seem to speak louder and we ended up projecting that into the world where we need others. I need others to tell me who I am when I am not acting in Christ. Lastly, which may sound weird, and I know it sounds weird, but trust me, the last is trust, believe. Um, I think many of us can write down on a piece of paper or take a test about the things we know about God. I know he loves me. I know he does this. I know uh, he is good. I know, like, if I were to take a test, especially going to Bible college, I could probably ace that. The issue is when push comes to shove, when I'm face-to-face with uh, identity being taken down, when I'm face-to-face with uh, maybe a, j- a job insecurity or financial insecurity, or I'm face-to-face with conflict, do I trust God is who he says he is? Do I trust that I am in Christ and because of the promises he has for those who are in Christ, do I believe that he is going to be good and follow through? Or do I trust in myself? So the there's a spiritual discipline of trusting consistently in who God is, that in the waves and being on the boat in the waves that there is shore that is going to come, even though you may not feel it. And some, so many of us, I, myself primarily, will jump off when, when, when the waves come because I just like give up and I don't trust that there's going to be something. So this is a spiritual discipline that I've had, I've had to incorporate in my life to trust that God is who he says he is. And honestly, this is not just 
for this sermon. In the last month, that's radically changed my discipleship. When I feel tempted to speak a certain way to my wife or speak a certain way or even to do something that I shouldn't do, I trust that God's way is better than what I'm about to do. And that is the in Christ identity that I get to step into by trusting and believing that this is the good way to live. Lastly, the reason why I wanted to land here this, 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 this series, this identity series, is that when we are in Christ, we get, again, we get to step into that relationship with God. But because of that, we get to reshape the way that we interact with one another and we interact with ourselves. Part of that is how do we share God's love in every action and and place we go? When we enter in a room, we get to bring God's reality into that place. We get to, and it might seem weird because others are used to seeing the the world upside down. They're going to think we're wacky and walking on ceilings, but if we're in Christ, we know that that is the way that the world was meant to be. And so my hope is that for you and for me, when we step into our identity in Christ and live these things out and get to reshape the way that we interact with ourselves and each other, I hope that next time I see my aunt, that she says, you look so much like your father. Um, I want to invite us to stand up and pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.
need your spirit, oh God, to stir. 